Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we're both very excited to be talking to you about a classic from our childhoods, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. We're about to complete a great quest, the Holy Grail, Dr. Jones. Oh, rats. Oh, this is it. Look, the shield is the second marker. We found it. Indiana Jones is on the quest of a lifetime. But for some adventures, one Jones is not enough. Dad? Junior? Don't call me that, please. Follow me! I know the way! A race across three continents. And in this sort of race, there's no silver medal for finishing second. Hang on, Dad, we're going in! Into the homeland of the enemy. Nazis. I hate these guys. Our situation has not improved. It is search for the Holy Grail. In the belly of that steel beast. Dad! Junior! You call this archaeology? The quest for the grail is not archaeology. It's a race against evil. Germany has declared war on the Jones boys. Those people are trying to kill us. I know, Dad! It's a new experience for me happens to me all the time. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Have the adventure of your life, keeping up with the Joneses. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Heddleston? I do. Uh, this was a 1989 film directed by uh, Steven Spielberg, and it stars Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. And the synopsis from IMDb is, in 1938, after his father goes missing while pursuing the Holy Grail, Indiana Jones finds himself up against the Nazis again to stop them from attaining, obtaining its powers. The Holy Grail, that is. So, yeah, we've both seen this. So, what are your, how long it had, had it been since you had last watched this, Chris, and what were your thoughts this time around? That's a good question. I don't know that I can tell you precisely the last time I saw it. It's been a minute, um, but it's it's not like I haven't seen it since it came out. Um, I do remember. I do remember when it first came out, uh, feeling a little let down by it. Um, everybody was like, "Oh, it's so great!" And I was kind of like, "Yeah." Nothing ever held a candle to that first movie for me. The 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 first Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom kind of changed my life in terms of you know me as a moviegoer and and cinema enthusiast and you know and I think um, I think the second one what would I just say Temple of Doom Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. is what I'm talking about Temple of Doom then. Um, you know, I, we saw that one, which came out a couple, couple years later, and I liked it. It's a very different movie. You know, I end up thinking like, "Oh, that was different." You know, but I don't think I liked it as much as I liked the original one. And then the third one is this one is a return to form in many ways. Um, it's a sort of an echo of the first one with the addition of Sean Connery, but it's a return to Nazis trying to get hold of a religious, a Christian artifact that has powers that could tip the war and blah 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 and so i think at the time i th I felt like it was a little bit of a poor man's raiders of the lost ark but re-watching it this time i really i mean in particular two performances leapt out of me i think that sean connery's performance is just really lovely like he really he really is going for it He's playing a little bit against type that I would have thought of the kind of James Bond, you know, hard, hard boiled egg kind of character that I think he, we see him do frequently in his career. And this, he's the sort of academic and 
father, and I think he hits all those marks in very lovely, understated ways, and I thought that was really a beautiful performance. And the other one was River Phoenix as a young Indiana Jones. And I don't know how much Spielberg was pushing him to do this or it was just the actor doing his homework or what, but almost every line, every beat is this carefully orchestrated impersonation of not Harrison Ford's voice because people do, you know, oh, listen, kid, you know, they people like Mark Hamill, they do impersonations of Harrison Ford, but it's his mannerisms. It's his acting style. It's expressions he makes. It's his takes on a line that I think is so I just imagined River Phoenix doing his homework on this part and watching and rewatching old Harrison Ford movies and and with his face and his expressions. He doesn't really I don't know what Harrison Ford looked like as a kid, but, you know, River Phoenix doesn't sell it on the fact that it's like, wow, it's the spitting image of it. You wouldn't necessarily know, oh, that's Indiana Jones as a kid until you see the performance. And then it's you can't unsee it like it's just so great. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it, too. He's not in the movie much. It's mostly the hook at the beginning. That's pretty much all it is is that hook at the beginning and how uh, how the kid, Indiana, becomes the, um, you know, swashbuckling archaeologist Indiana Jones that we come to love through these series. But I ramble on. What about... What about you revisiting it? Yeah, a lot of my thoughts are similar. With River Phoenix, one thing that I got to thinking about is he also was in the movie uh, The Mosquito Coast with Harrison Ford. So I'm sure he probably he would That's have spent right. a lot of time with him, obviously. So maybe he studied his mannerisms then, too, you know. Um, so, yeah, my thoughts are pretty similar. And it's interesting because th for a lot of people, this is the is their favorite. Um and at the time in 1989, so, you know, it would have been 16, I guess, I was a little disappointed with this one as well initially because I, the, the first two have always been kind of 1A and 1B for me. And I remember being super hyped for this one. I can remember vividly there was a magazine. I don't think it's around anymore, but there was a, a really good movie magazine back then called Premiere, and they had Spielberg and... Uh, Harrison Ford and maybe Lucas on the cover that, you know, that summer. And I remember buying that magazine and everything. And my, my criticism had always been of this is that it's, it's a little too jokey. It's something that I think of as kind of the law of action franchises, uh, lethal weapon and, and die hard do the same thing where the, you know, you have Raiders that is this very serious movie with some funny lines here and there, you know, some funny dialogue, um, you know, uh, ass very dangerous. You go first, you know, and snakes, why did it have to be snakes? But there aren't really gags in that movie. Uh, you get to the second one and it's more comedic. And then by the time you get to the third, it has kind of full on gags in it. Um, and watching it, this I've definitely warmed to the movie a lot more. It, it was never like I hated the movie. I just, it, it, uh, it was always third place for me. Mm. Um, and I, I still think it's third place. Um, but, and I've seen this movie a bunch of times, like you say, the, the river Phoenix opening is fantastic. I love it. And watching it again this time, I, I had kind of forgotten, but Sean Connery doesn't show up until about an hour into the movie. Right. And it's, it's, really serious for except for you know they they have the joke where when they're in venice and he's pounding on the where x marks the spot and you have the guy in the library you know and you know hitting the, at the same time that he's pounding on the ground the guy's stamping the books and you know so there's some little jokes like that but it it once connery shows up and they're you know they're tied together and the the uh in the castle and the rooms on fire and everything it gets really jokey for about 30 minutes and then you get into the when they actually go and it's uh to to get the grail and it's only the penitent man will pass and all that and all of that is fantastic so it's it's not as comedic as i remember it being um and 
you know, you talked about Connery. I mean, he's great. And also I think Harrison Ford, because there's more humor in it, he gets to show more range than I think he does in any of the other movies. Um, and you know, he, Harrison Ford is one of those guys where he is a, you know, capital M movie star. And I think he, I don't think he gets enough credit for, I mean, everybody loves Harrison Ford, but I don't think he gets enough credit for being a really good actor, you know, because he's done so many blockbuster films. He's a really good actor. Um, and again, he can do comedy and drama equally well. And like you said, with Connery, you know, playing against type, I don't know if he's, if he ever played another role like this where he wasn't, you know, super heroic and, and all of that. I don't know. But well, so have you ever, have you ever ahead. seen the man who would be King, which is an adaptation of Rudyard Kipling's story and it's, it's him and Michael Caine. Yeah, when I was a kid, I don't remember a lot about it. That's a great that's a great performance. Yeah. Um so uh I mean it's you know, you have the you know, we've uh, people uh put down uh Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and I mean that's a movie with I didn't hate. I mean there's problems with it. But just looking at this initial trilogy, I mean they're all great movies and even the the you know, this one, the um, there's some bad uh, green screen stuff in this where I think that's one of the things that makes Raiders so great is, you know, there's I don't think there's any green screen in that at all uh, that you can tell. You know, and this movie has quite a bit of green screen, you know, um, and that makes it I mean, it, it's not even that it makes it seem dated. I mean, the green screen didn't look great in 1989, um, but it's still a great, great movie, you know, with even the the kind of nitpicks that, that I have of it. And it's just the cinematography is so great and the music and, you know, especially that when you get in that ending in the the temple or whatever it is where they're actually going to get the grail. I mean, all that's just fantastic, you know. Yeah, I, I want to. It's not pushing back or disagreeing with you a little bit about the gags, but I think it leans into the comedy pretty hard. It, but but the, you had said that the first one doesn't really have any gags in it, and the first one doesn't have anything like him showing up to the Nazi c- castle in uh, Tammy, you know, like a Tam, and pretending to be a Scottish lord. <laughs> you know, there's that's pretty ripe. Yeah, uh, stuff. The first one doesn't have that, but the first one is is very laced with comic bits. You know, the, the, he gets in the back Shooting of the plane. The and swordsman, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And there's a whole basket thing, like uh, Marion hops in a basket, and then there's a sort of a whole sequence of like which basket is Marion in, and people carrying baskets back and forth and throwing in the back of them. You know, Indy. And there's so there's there are sequences. That whether or not you want to call them gags in the same way, yeah, uh, I think are beloved gags that audiences are like, oh, that was great, you know, where it's the action and it leavens some of the fear. Like if you're when we saw it, we were kids, and, it, and if you're a parent there with kids, I think it it leavens some of the stuff like the Nazi getting the big Nazi getting chopped up by the propeller blade mm-hmm. and the way that Spielberg builds that it's, it's, you don't see it, but he gets sprayed with blood as the, you know, and there's a sound as the propeller chops the guy up. And I remember that that's burned into my brain. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and I don't think it's inappropriate for, I, I don't what were we like eight or nine? I, 10 i don't know how old we were but yeah i don't think i know second grade whatever age you are in second grade eight or nine yeah like yeah i i don't think it's necessarily inappropriate but you know it's effective in a really hard-hitting way um and i think that what this does is it it takes the template of the first one and it gives it a big shot of adrenaline. So everything is a little emphasized. Yeah. And I think at the time that was kind of without being able to articulate it, that was kind of one of my 
one of my beefs with it. Oh, now we see kid Indiana Jones, and oh, now we got to have Indiana Jones's dad. I mean, when you make mm-hmm. a third one, you you sort of get away with not expanding the universe too much in a sequel, right? Because they actually went back in time and they they did an earlier date. So the Temple of Doom is actually a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark. So you you dodge a bullet a little bit. You learn more about Indy, but you don't really expand the universe that much. It also, it, that one goes darker. Like that one is a much scarier film, I think, than uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. But in the third one, when you're returning to form and you're going to add in other generations, um, I think... You know, even Steven Spielberg's worst movie is a pretty good movie. (laughs) Um, I mean, the guy knows how to make movies. I I think of Steven Spielberg as the Steven Sondheim of contemporary uh, popular cinema. Like, he Mm -hmm. almost invented his own genre of tentpole summer blockbuster, right? I mean, Steven Sondheim came along and, and completely changed the American musical. Uh, in theater, and Spielberg kind of did the same. I mean, you can say that of a lot of the people that, you know, uh, George Lucas, obviously there's there's more than one person. But in terms of consistently and having a style and really delivering and this combination of action and pathos and romance and comedy, it, it, it's... I think coming back to this film as an adult, it it's just I just a number of times was shaking my head and being like Steven Spielberg, man, you know, oh yeah, just such a sure hand and such a clear, clean style and a way of telling a story with the camera. And uh, I think he got amazing performances. He gets amazing performances out of his actors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you let Sean Connery just be the kind of hard-boiled tough guy, he can do that and be compelling without looking like he's trying. But in this one, there's that scene when it's been his life work and they he reunites with his son and they're comparing notes and he's he's uh, Indiana Jones has found the rest of the rubbing and he figured out the city where the map that dad has already defined. He just didn't know where it started. And and they go through that scene. He's like, oh, and you found the thing? And he says, Alexandretta, Dad. And he goes, ah, Alexandretta. You know, and he's so giddy. It is just this wonderful, wonderful scene. Um, I I I think I, I have been harder on it when I was a kid. It has aged well. Yes. I think it has, to its benefit, I think some of my objections to it, I've grown past those things and I I really just enjoyed and I think when you look at the trilogy and we're setting aside Crystal Skull and the new one which I think we should talk about which is coming out soon oh, yeah. I think when you when you look at the bookends of these this is a trilogy it's a great third it's a great closing movie right? well you have that you know they literally ride off into the sunset and it's such a great scene you know and it's called the Last Crusade. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, like we're done. Uh, okay, yeah. I, we I I did one, and then they came back to me, and they offered obscene amounts of money for two more pictures, and I made two more pictures, and this is great. But now I'm going to go do other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, how many decades later we get the Crystal Skull that everybody has problems with, and we bring back Marion, and it's and that's really sort of um postscript and I think it's fascinating now that he's agreed to come back and do yet a fifth one mm-hmm. in which they're time traveling apparently and but we're going back to the Nazis Crystal Skull mm-hmm. didn't have anything to do with Nazis it was communists in the 50s I guess right yeah in the atomic era I guess they figure everybody likes Nazis as as villains you know so it seems to kind of anchor the franchise and yeah. they've got Mads, what's his name, Milkinson? Mads Mickelson, yeah. Mickelson, he's great. So I think having him as the sort of chief bad Nazi is, I, I don't know, I'm excited for this one mm-hmm. in a way that I don't really remember being excited for Crystal Skull. 
I was excited for Crystal Skull. I mean, I was pretty, yeah, I was excited. I was excited for it. Um, as I far as when kinda, I was, I hope we're kind of past the old guy jokes. Like I feel like Crystal yeah. Skull had a bunch of like, well, it ain't you know, it ain't like it used to be, kid. You know, I don't know, whatever. And it was all there was a lot of passing the torch stuff with uh, Shia LaBeouf and family stuff, right? And uh, Shia LaBeouf, it is his son, right? That uh, mm-hmm. Marion never told him about, right? Sorry, we're yeah. spoiling the entire franchise. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I mean that one's fifteen years ago now. Yeah, so, you know. When I when I talked about gags with uh, with this, I think what I I mean kind of more what I meant is like the uh, like when they're driving the car through the tunnel and the Nazi plane is you know going by and the guy looks over at him you know that's right. there's nothing right. as corny as that no, you're in, right. in Raiders you know um, that said some of the get you know like the the uh, and I and this was something that I I enjoyed the first time around but I was like you the the you know initially and and again you know i was 16 at the time and i i don't know if it's just being a teenager if it was just me personally but i was definitely more critical of everything when i was 16 what that's great you astound me sir (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to like early 20s than I am now you know what I mean and now it's just like I watch a movie and it's like I enjoyed it but I'm not gonna like argue with people about it you know whereas back then I you know I would have um but uh, uh I lost my train of thought there for just a second but the I, I think the you know the dynamic between which which everybody seemed to love even at the time the dynamic between him and Sean Connery it was co- sort of like because he's very much the son, you know what I mean? Whereas it's always like, well, this guy's my hero. And now he's like, uh, his like his dad is kind of bosses him around. And he, you know what I mean? At the time that I think that really, it kind of took that kind of heroic sheen off of me, off of him in my eyes, you know, as a, as a kid. But and another thing talking about Spielberg, and I, I probably talk about this every, I probably talked about this with Temple of Doom. I don't know, but every blockbuster movie maybe, but, uh, and you know Spielberg, nobody's ever been better than him at at blockbuster movies. Uh, but one of the things about his blockbuster movies, it bothers me when people say, "Oh, when you have a really dumb uh, big blockbuster movie," and people say, "Oh, it's just a you know this isn't an Academy Award movie. You're supposed to turn your brain off." And the Spielberg movies were never movies that you turned your brain off, you know. Um, the, maybe Crystal Skull, you know, people could say that. But, you know, you you watch this uh, Last Crusade and there's, you know, they it only slows down for a few minutes to have a, a uh, like the scene where the tank goes over the cliff. I was just and, thinking of that, yeah. Yeah, and they hug, you know. And it's this great, and he says, "I, I, I thought I'd lost you, boy." You know. Yeah. It's, and but then, but then there's he'll only do that for a second, and then it's like he's got to be the like manly father. You know what I mean? Because he like he sort of loses it, and then he's like, "Well, let's go." You know? Why are you yeah. just sitting there on the ground? You know? And that's a really great, you know, little touches of emotion. You know, there's a there's this when he I think first. As- as children, we we wouldn't have appreciated that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think we had the frame of reference on life to appreciate that. But it is there's a sister scene to that when they're on the Zeppelin, and they think they've made it. They think they've snuck out of Germany. Of course, they the Nazis turn the Zeppelin around, but they're sitting there with a glass of uh, scotch or bourbon or something. And he said, "You know, it's been a long time since we had a quiet drink together, Dad." Mm-hmm. And and they're comparing notes, and it turns out that they have both <laughs> slept with the Nazi femme fatale, who was mm-hmm. a double agent or posing it right. Uh, and but but there are these quiet moments, and you're right. It's you say it's only a couple of minutes. It's not even minutes, really. Mm-hmm. It's maybe a couple of minutes total. But Spielberg bothers to include them because it makes the relationships real, right? And this was a kid who grew up driven by many of the things you know he is his father's son but he has also always felt that 
and this is comes out in the movie, he always felt that his dad thought his work was more important than his son. Mm-hmm. Right? And his wife. Yeah. And yeah. and they they he he gets to say that to his father in this film. And there is the scene when the tank goes over and I mean, I think deep down we know Indiana Jones hasn't died in this movie, right? But we don't see it. And certainly the the Sean Connery's character, Indiana Jones's father, does think that he's died. And he says to their other friend there, he says, uh, you know, I never told him. It would have taken five minutes. Mm-hmm. And now I've lost him. And then there's a bit where he has climbed up a different side of the cliff and he kind of comes and and there is a moment where Sean Connery grabs him in an embrace and says, I thought I lost you, boy. Mm. But he still can't bring himself to say it. Yeah. And what I that's what I love the most about that scene is it doesn't really change for Harrison Ford's character. Life doesn't change. Because his dad never tells him that thing that he things would have only taken five minutes to say. And to me, because he can't. Mm -hmm. Not because his son doesn't deserve it or whatever else, but just because... I don't know, I'm getting getting emotional because I lost my father recently. Yeah, yeah. It resonates. So at 50, this movie resonated with me (laughs) as an adult in a way that I think as a kid it just went completely over my head. And I was like, whatever, crack a whip or chase a Nazi, you know? Yeah. But I I think there's a lot in this that that brings the whole franchise around. You you said you don't have to turn your mind off. I think that's absolutely right. I think think Spielberg never forgets that a good movie is about – the human experience mm-hmm. and that's about the relationships we have and the things we think are important and the, the things we're willing to risk our life for in some cases and in this franchise it is life and death right he doesn't really he, i was gonna say Sp- steven spielberg doesn't make science fiction but of course he has yeah um <laughs> to great effect but, the, but it's always human the wonder yes. of the alien is always b- built upon the human experience of confronting the unknown. And i that's just the basics. But people like Michael Bay, you lose it in that. It's not about the robot that turns into a car. It's about the people who have to interact with the... Right? Yeah, well, yeah. I, if you have a movie that's just special effects and action and you don't care anything about the, the people that are in it, you don't care anything about the characters, it's a pretty boring it's you know pretty boring. Uh, Why film. do you care? Yeah. Why do you care? If you can't relate to it, um, what? Why waste your time on it? I mean, mm-hmm. the CGI. I'm not going to go into the analog versus CGI rant, yeah. but um, but it just it's just a pretty thing, and you're like, we have just three hours of this, like, <laughs> you know. And Spielberg, you know, as a great as great of a technical director as he is, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think of movies, Spielberg movies that, that didn't have great characters. And I can't, I can't think of 1942 think of was kind of a, dud. and that movie bombed, you know, but, yeah. and I, I don't know if I've, uh, with, with John Belushi. I mean, it's not yeah. that you didn't, it just, for whatever reason, that didn't become the thing he had. That was that was Spielberg doing a full on comedy, which I don't know that he ever really did again. You know, I don't know that yeah. he ever did anything that was just straight comedy. You know, I'd love I'd love to hear the behind the scenes on that, and I wonder if he's done interviews about it. But it's almost as though I almost imagine the studio said, um, you know, Animal House. We got John Belushi. Let's make that make a. Make a rollicking kind of, you know, frat funny that the kids are going to come out to drunk and then that are going to think as a rip roaring whatever. And the young Spielberg was kind of like, oh, oh, how many million? Okay, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, or if it was a contractual obligation or I don't know, I, I have no idea, but it just doesn't soar. Mm-hmm. The way most of his work does, like even even the remake he did of um, War of the Worlds with, oh, I like War of the Worlds a lot with Tom, with Tom Cruise. Cruise. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. That's in a that. great movie. There's there's stuff in that that is absolutely terrifying, 
absolutely terrifying. Um, I don't remember a lot of the movie, but I'd say there's, you know, two handfuls of sequences that, like I say, are burned into the back of my mind that you're just like, oh, my God, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, another one that would, as things have, you know, we've, uh, because this movie would be, what, 20 years old now, maybe a little over 20 years old, uh, that would be fun to do on the the show because I haven't seen it since probably it was on HBO or something is uh, Minority Report. Oh yeah, uh, you know we I mean, haven't done a, we haven't done my more that I mean we should totally do that. We haven't yeah. done that. No, no, we haven't done my yeah. Minority we got to do that. And that's yeah, a great because I you know I mean that movie would be it'd be interesting to watch that because like I say I, I saw it in the theater. And then when it came out on DVD, I tried to watch it with my parents, and they were just, they didn't get it, and I had to turn it off. They they were so, we were just like, this is weird, and I had to turn it off after about 20 minutes. And that was the last time I think I saw it. But I, I think with, you know, the way the world has changed in the last 20 years, that, that probably is a movie that's more relevant now, you know. I honestly, I think that movie was ahead of its time. I think, mm -hmm. you know, with, with filmmaking and with especially studio filmmaking and big Hollywood filmmaking. Timing is such, you know, you make up, even you make an independent film, it's so much time and energy goes into the making of a film. And it is so much a product of the time in which you make it and the mm -hmm. place where everybody on the crew, everything, everybody is in their lives. They bring themselves so fully to this, this craft and it's all baked in there to the product and the ones that really, the films that really stand the test of time touch on kind of universal, resonant human themes. And sometimes you have a piece of popular entertainment that I think like Minority Report is ahead of its time. And when it came out, people just weren't feeling it. I don't know how it did in the box office. Yeah, I, I don't think it was... It. A, it did three three hundred fifty eight million worldwide. It did one hundred and thirty two. What did in it the cost? US, which, I mean, I'm sure it, it doesn't say here what the. I'm sure it was a lot, you know. So it it probably was viewed as a little bit of a disappointment, I imagine. At the but time. not a flop. I don't, I don't remember exactly. No, not a flop. But I mean, it's a Tom Cruise movie. I think yeah. it probably underperformed according to expectations. It's a thinker. Mm -hmm. Oh, you yeah. know, surprisingly, it's it, and that's the thing. That's my thing of talking about Tom Cruise. That's my thing about Edge of Tomorrow too. Is it's surprisingly, it's it's a thinker <laughs> like you. We've done Edge of Tomorrow, haven't we done yeah. Edge? Yeah, yes. That's mm -hmm. a that's a that. If you guys haven't seen Edge of Tomorrow and you're into sci-fi and you don't hate Tom Cruise, that is one of my favorite like underknown movies. People have never heard of it. I'm like, it's. Great. It is a great summer popcorn sci-fi Tom Cruise movie. And I feel like in some ways for, for several years after that, he was chasing Edge of Tomorrow. And, he, you know, did we do Oblivion? No, we've talked about it. but We've we talked about it. We haven't done Oblivion. I feel like Oblivion was the next year, and that has got some great big, uh, big, big crayon problems. But... It's still a really interesting movie in many ways. I think the ending kind of kills it. Anyway, I won't, we won't do that episode now, but we should probably do Oblivion too. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I don't yeah. know. I don't know where in, I was going with all that, but in summary, yeah, Spielberg. I mean, you know, for me, he's the best ever blockbuster director. I don't think anybody's ever gonna match. You know what? Uh, what he did. But but my whole point with this is. He never did turn off your brain movies. You know, you had characters. And I think, you know, I don't think uh, Indiana Jones would have stuck with us for 40 years or whatever if it were just nothing but special effects and action. There's plenty of that. I mean, as much as you want. Right. Right. But they're characters that you that you love, you know. Right. And even the side character, you know, the side characters like solid. We talked about this a little bit off Mike or whatever, but they, they, they turn Marcus Brody into kind of a clown in this. I don't really know why, but yeah. it's, it's not well too bad, for, for you know? comic effect. Yeah, for comic. I mean, he and, wasn't he wasn't ever really a central character in the other ones. He was right. definitely memorable, and he was there, but he was part of Indiana Jones's university life. He was yeah. the guy that he'd return to with the artifact and be like, "Well, we did it." 
Oh, yes. You know, indeed. It's really quite wonderful. But, you know, and he was this charming personality. So I think in some ways they said, and by they, I mean Steven Spielberg, it was like, how do we bring him more into the story? Of the- I do actually like that bit that he does. He's like, he speaks seven languages. You know, he's got a two-week head start. You know, he'll vanish. You'll never find him. <laughs> he might have the grill already. <laughs> and then they just show him and he's... Lost in the it's bumbling. Place, does know. anybody speak English? Yeah, but <laughs> but, but then he says great... he's, he says with his father, he's like, oh, I made that up. Like he does, yeah. you know, he does. He got lost in his own museum once. Yeah, yeah, I do love that. <laughs> and you know, famously, and this was another thing that 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 bothered me as a kid that now I don't really care about. The you know, Temple of Doom, the, the both. Uh, Lucas and Spielberg were kind of in dark places at the time and made a really dark movie, which I loved as a kid, but it didn't do as well as Raiders and it didn't do as well as, uh, you know, the last crusade wound up making more money. And Spielberg has always said that, that last crusade was an apology for temple of doom. So they, you know, they purposely went much lighter, um, you know, which I never felt that there was anything to be, to apologize Four with the Temple of Doom, but you know that was that and Gremlins were the two films that uh, the that PG thirteen came about as a result. You know because it was like they weren't quite bad enough for an R, but they were too intense for a PG. But so. they were scary. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they weren't. Yeah. If you if you really went scene for scene, I mean we've had the conversation of how messed up the ratings board is in terms of sex versus violence, but. If you really went scene for scene at the time, you think this isn't really all ages appropriate, you know, and parental guidance is kind of like, well, you know, as those kids get to eight, nine, 10, 11, you start to, and some kids are really mature and ready for it and some kids aren't, you know, parental guidance. But that PG-13 being like uh, parental guidance, but there's, there's some stuff, you know, there's yeah. some stuff in here. And it isn't so much that you see – I mean, sex was always kind of a disqualifier. If there was nudity, it's like, R, R, it's an R. I saw a breast, that's an R, mm-hmm. you know. But with the violence in the themes, language, they could always kind of count, you know, curses. And they'd be like, oh, no, that's an R. You said it three times, <laughs> which I always thought was a little absurd. But with those movies, they were like – they were fun and they were accessible, but when they got scary, they got memorably scary. Like I remember mm. the scary stuff from those movies, and I'm not going to say it scarred me for life, but it it made a lasting impression. All these years later, like there's a ton of my life that didn't make a lasting impression. <laughs> I can't remember. People are like, oh, remember when we did that thing? I'm like, mm, I have no recollection of that. But I remember some of the scenes for those movies. You know, the Malaram and Temple of Doom pulling the guy's heart out. That's, that's something in, you don't ever forget. You know, that's intense, man. Mm-hmm. That's intense. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, as a PG, you could have. Now I saw all of these movies with my dad. Um, but as a PG, uh, you know, we could have just been dropped off as ten-year-old kids or whatever to watch these. You know, we wouldn't have had to have had parents with us i don't think i don't think he had to have I, I think it was i don't think so so i don't here's a question that i thought of i know this is this is probably an impossible question to answer but you know both of us and we're not unique i feel like everybody we knew was into these movies and then also the star wars movies so we had two trilogies that we grew up with that we were obsessed with you know the the original star wars movies and the original indiana jones if you had to pick a trilogy do you think you could do it if you had to pick between the two? Like one to take with me to a desert island? Yeah. Like w- if you could only have one of the trilogies? Because wow. I loved both of them so much. I mean, I guess Star Wars was just such a, you know, an expansive universe with so many characters. What that an I guess you can question. so much else, you know, with, but. It's it's oh. interesting because the common thread between those two on screen is Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Lucas and Spielberg work together on both franchises, so it's both of those men's work, but mm-hmm. Harrison Ford is the one on screen through line. I mean, at 50, I guess I'd say I'd go the Indiana Jones. 
Mm -hmm. Because as somebody who is now wading in, I'm not wading. I mean, yeah, I'm a filmmaker, but it's, it's not what I do professionally. But I love Spielberg's, everything we've been talking about. That the idea that you can activate the imagination, but you keep it grounded in the human experience. Like Star Wars to me was predominantly imagination. And it was the actors themselves that inter like Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, even James Earl Jones, who wasn't there on set, like he did the ADR later, but these performances made it human. Alec Guinness, obviously, I think I feel like George Lucas is an idea man and a genius in his own way for for coming up with these universes. But as we see, it has taken someone like a John Favreau to come back and make the Mandalorian and re-anchor it to the like it's it, they're human stories. Like you, you can't have the style doesn't do anything without the substance. And that's the kind of running criticism of the prequel films, which is it's all style and there's no substance. The dialogue itself, people don't talk this way. Who cares? Right? It's a love scene between Padme and Anakin Skywalker. And it's like, the sky is so blue here. It makes me feel alone. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, who wrote this? You know? And you have to wonder if... And I think, didn't Spielberg uh, with, uh, what was the, what's the third one? Um, I can't even remember what the, the <laughs> I don't, the re- case in point, I don't uh, know what they're called. It's baloney uh, one, baloney two, and baloney three. But I, I think in the third one, I, I, I'm pretty sure that, that Spielberg actually came in and directed some of the, like the lightsaber battle towards the end. Mm. But you have to wonder if Spielberg or if uh, Lucas had turned those movies over to somebody else, you know, had his ideas and everything and did the same thing as he did with empire. And because, you know, you have empire that, you know, as cold as those prequels are, there's lots of humanity in, in, in empire and, and Jedi too. Jedi's, you know, not quite as good, but if, if, if Lucas had had not directed and taken those films and given them to somebody else, you know, I think they um, would have been much less problematic, and I think mm-hmm. they would have been much bigger hits. Because, and I am not a screenwriter, but I think you could fix a lot of the problems in those prequels with a red pencil. Mm-hmm. And for yeah. whatever reason, you know, he was he was clearly a visionary film student and he had made THX and and he did Star Wars and they got that through and that really changed the science fiction game but the studios didn't give him free reign the studios are like look kid you're great and we're on board and we're going to make this and this is going to be great but you have to change the following 38 things (laughs) you know it's your movie it's going to be your movie but Han Solo can't be a weird alien with a scarecrow head or whatever, right? And we need, they need to be people, and you can have the aliens in there, but in this place, and they, they gave it to a seasoned screenwriter who had multiple awards, and they're like, take a pass at this, and he fixed it. And so there were, there were rails. There was like, great, 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 yes to all of that, except all of this, and then you have to change all of this. And he made the movie that they allowed him to make. They gave him a free reign with the uh, effects, et cetera, right? And, and we see what Star Wars did. It has spawned, it, you know, it kind of metastasized an entire universe. You know, a new multiverse. There's a whole, like, universe thing now that became uh, the Star Wars cinematic universe. And that's whatever criticism you want to level at George Lucas, that's remarkable. That is, oh, yeah. That is crazy that he did that. However, I think that if I had to pick, I would I would go with uh, the Spielberg driven stuff because it's it's fundamentally it's human stories, and I think it's more Harrison Ford forward. And uh, mm-hmm. I fell in love with Harrison Ford, like Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford's characters, Han Solo. I mean, what kid didn't want to be Luke Skywalker? But 
I always wanted to be I wanted to be Harrison Ford. Yeah. But the but the Harrison Ford roles, those were the ones that you related to. You're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's not perfect, but he's got a good heart, you know? And Indiana Jones is more about that. And I think it's the swashbuckling stuff and the the imagination, but it's grounded in this human truth of, of fallibility and and good intentions. The thing that you said about the good heart it reminds me of one specific thing that I wanted to mention is uh, in the beginning when uh, when it's Joaquin Phoenix and he's what is it the cross of Coronado River is River Phoenix a river River Phoenix yeah I knew I was going to say Joaquin Phoenix um, but the guy that uh, I love the thing where at the very end you know the bad guys get the cross back from him. And uh, you lost this one, kid, but it doesn't mean you have to like it. Right. And he says and he's, he says, you have a good, you, you know, you've got heart or something like that earlier in the, when they're on the train. But he said, yeah, you didn't. You lost this one. But but, you know, it doesn't mean you have to like it. And I think he and gives he, him his hat, which he gives him his hat. <laughs> Very he impro- his, improbable. He, yeah. But I love that scene because he puts the hat on him and he leans down and then they cut to. Right. That's a uh, wipe. Yeah, yeah. They, where they cut to, then it's it's Indiana Jones on the boat, and you know he lifts his head. I love that that transition. Do yeah. you know I have seen that Stetson? I have seen that Stetson in real life. It's at Industrial Light and Magic, mm-hmm. and I went to college with Chris Miller of Chris Miller and Phil Lord, who have done Into the Spider Verse, and I'm so proud of this. And right, at, he got a job working for. Uh, working for them shortly after college, and I was living in San Francisco, and I reconnected with him, and he said, oh, you should come out for lunch. And so I went out to Skywalker Ranch to meet Chris for lunch, and he gave me a little walking tour. And We're two kids. I mean, I'm a couple years older than him. but And they have display cases with all of this great memorabilia, and the hat is one of them, the Stetson hat that is the, th- the Indiana Jones through line, the actual prop. I mean, wow. they must have thirty of those hats, but yeah, the one sure. used in the original in the original film is there, and uh, yeah, you love it. It's it's iconic. It's a through line for the character. It becomes the symbol of the character. But that is a that is a great wipe that I think bring, ties it right to get together with the first two films. Is that you know he comes up and he sort of smiles, remembering the cross of Coronado, and of course he's on this you know, cargo ship where they've got, it's the same guy wearing the same suit. <laughs> it's like, does he only own these white suits or is this just a crazy yeah. coincidence? <laughs> you know, like 25, 30 years later, he's wearing yeah. the same suit. Anyway, it's movies and, uh, you know, and he blows up the ship and he ends up getting it back. And the funny thing is he like, like, However many people died on that ship, you know, <laughs> right? Innocent sail, right? They're not all, they're not Nazis. You can't, but it's just crew of the ship. Just like he goes back to, you know, that was in Portugal or something, and he goes back to the U.S. and you know, nothing happens or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and there's another thing that's funny. I mean, they do this in the original in the in Raiders where the uh, the girls in the class are all kind of swooning over him, but yeah. the, you have the famous thing where the girl yeah. closes her eyes and it Love says you. she's written "Love you" yeah. on. But on her eyelids. He, yeah. So he he comes, you know, he he comes back like from that and it's like his first class back and he goes to his office and there are all these kids outside of his office like trying to, office you know, and hours, it's girls yeah. and it's it's boys, too. But it's just, I just thought, you know, it's an archaeology teacher. Right. Are there going to be these kids just like clamoring to see him? Well, know? and they have this great they it's a great bit where he's like, you know, archaeology is 90% of it's done in the library. You know, this is not a swashbuckling adventure. It's not any of that stuff and X never ever ever marks the yeah. spot, right? Yeah. <laughs> and of course, in this film, X literally marks the spot and they highlight it when he breaks into the tomb. But, I mean, I think I rolled my eyes at those things when I was a kid because I wanted I wanted Raiders of the Last Ark again. Yeah. And, you know, no filmmaker wants to make the same movie again. They always want to make it something new. And, and sadly, with this new one, as excited as both of us are, 
I mean, it would be impossible at this point, but we're not going to get Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, no. I, I, you know, I, I am not expecting this and, and did not expect this, but I would, I would really love it if the tone of this last one is, was very serious, but it's going to be super jokey. Well, I mean, we've seen some no clips way. of it. We've seen mm-hmm. some clips of it and it does look very to form. It's not a rickshaw race, but it's a, you know, it's through some third world. I don't know where it is, you know? Yeah. And we've got uh, Phoebe. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Waller, yeah, it, it, she's great. I mean, I think that the people in it are great, but I think it's a template now. And I think that Harrison Ford is probably more interested in coming back to Indiana Jones than Steven Spielberg seems to be. I mean, I mm-hmm. think he feels like... Have you seen his latest one about the family? Steven Spielberg? Yeah. Mm-mm. I haven't either. And it, it is, is... It's... Look that up for me. Look, look up what the name of the, it's the it's the somethings. It's like a family. Oh, oh name. the one that's the like semi the the yeah. the, uh, the semi autobiographical one. No, everyone I've, I've, I've talked to the Fablemans. Yes, the Fablemans. Everyone I've talked, I have not seen it myself. Everyone who's seen it is just like it is a masterpiece. It's so wonderful, and I feel like I see interviews with uh, Scorsese now too, and he's like, you know. He remembers Kurosawa. They gave him some award when he was 80 or something like that. And Kurosawa saying, I'm too old, right? Mm -hmm. I I, I only now realize what cinema can be. And I'm running. I'm out of time. Like I can't. It's taken me my whole life to realize what cinema can do and can be. And I don't have any time left to realize, you know. And and, uh, Scorsese echoed that. He's just like, you know. There's so much to do, and I'm just, I'm, I'm getting too old to do it, and it's, it's like it's a bitter realization. I feel like Spielberg is aging into that too. He's sort of like, look, I don't want to. We've, we've done this. We did this already. I did this, and there's, there's other stuff to. I hope that he brings that to this film, but I think it feels like a property, and I'll watch it, and I think I will enjoy it. Are you talking about the Fablemans? No, no, the Fablemans. I think is is a film that's it's just. Oh, you're talking about indie. I'm talking about the the fifth. I'm talking about the Where dial of producer destiny. on that. You know, because that's yeah. uh, James Mangold. You know, is the yeah. I think he, well, now that's the other thing is I think Mangold is a crackerjack. I think James yeah. Mangold can make a terrific movie, and I think that's a smart, smart corporate choice. Yeah. Right. So it might be there's a but 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 Mangold is going to feel like he needs to make a lot of homage to the other films. I mean, I think mm-hmm. he, they've got him on a pretty short lease and leash in terms of what it probably has to be. Yeah, I imagine. I don't as you know, this isn't all this, this isn't going to be Logan, right? This is going to no. be the first one where they say it which has is to be what this, I, these 18 things and he's going to have Which to. is what I that's a great example that's kind of what I want is a is an Indiana Jones version of Logan, yep. you know, where where he dies at the end, you know, I would be I would be fine with that. That's the thing after all this praise that I've heaped on Spielberg um I think the last Spielberg movie that I was really that interested in and it wasn't great was Ready Player One. Yeah. Um, did you ever see that? Yes, I did a couple of times. I, did you read the book? No. I have it. I bought the it for my is, son, but I didn't read it. The book is great. Well, I'll read but it. But the movie was just okay, you know, yeah. I thought. Um, I don't know how you felt, but that was. But some of this other stuff that he's done recently, I just haven't it, it had was, any interest it. In was it was literally all CGI. I mean, yeah, the, that was the, the thing. The whole it was, film is yeah. just in this virtual reality, and I... It's inventive and it's colorful, but I don't know. It disconnects me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, let's come around. To, I mean, I don't. I can't imagine either of us not recommending uh, this Indiana Jones oh, movie. Oh yeah, I do. Two thumbs yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's great. Just and and my problems that I have with it now are very very nitpicky, but it's a great movie. I think it's a ter- it's a terrific entertainment, but it also runs a little deeper. And I think if you're into filmmaking, it's one of you can see a lot of Spielberg's mastery. You know, 
we talk about um, Wes Anderson and the sort of bespoke love of the whatever, but the style in that opening sequence where he's a kid in the, I, I guess it's the tens or the twenties when he's a kid, and I think it's nineteen twelve in the movie, and he's like um, he's like a scout, and the scout troop is just riding out into the desert, and they're going to go spelunking, and the the scout leader's just like. You know, don't stick together. I mean, the kids could die, <laughs> but yeah. but it, it was a different time. And uh, and there's this uh, sort I, of. Uh, let me interject for one second. I was a scout. I was an Eagle Scout, and we went. My my scoutmaster was very into spelunking, so we went on um, uh, some spelunking trips, which were great. And we actually had a kid. There was a kid kid who was a large kid, and he got stuck. <laughs> <laughs> in a cave. Well, that's where and, I was uh, going. Is this sort of Biff? Yeah. I used to read the Hardy Boys, and there was always, you know, there was always the sort of blonde, fat kid with a crew cut and the that's blue basically eyes. Basically, what this this kid was exactly like that. Had the rosy cheeks, and he's a bugler, yeah, and I, it's just genius casting, and it's it goes right to this style. It's an archetype of the time. It's this great homage to the era. He falls off. He's comic relief. I mean, it's kind of mm-hmm. cruel, really, but. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it really nails. It's like okay, we've done the adventure comics of the '30s and '40s. Let's do the let's do what does this genre look like at the turn of the century and the beginning of the 20th century? And they really nail that style too, with the kerchiefs and the kind of Roosevelt, you know, park ranger hats that they were wearing. And the, um, I, I don't know. I I, I don't know well, where I started River with Phoenix. that. But. It's hard to not watch the movie and think, wow. Um, what could he have been? Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, when you think about, you know, what his brother has gone on to do, and, I mean, he was already, you know, um, viewed as a great actor, but uh, I'm River Phoenix I'm talking about, but he was still just kind of starting out, you know. Because yeah. what was that, probably like mid-'90s when he died? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Um, so he, and and, you know, you wonder if the plan was back then – to try to spin these off with with him, you know. Well, and they did it. They did Young Indiana Jones. They did right? Young Indiana Jones. Yeah, it just didn't take off. But I think it might have. But I think this property is so tied to Harrison Ford. I think that was the, one of the problems with Solo too. Is we just don't. Harrison Ford is a good actor, but he's a movie star. Yeah. First, and I think there's something a little. There's something a little he without maybe intending he does that like it is he bakes himself into these roles and we love him in these roles and the idea of like oh we'll just spin up a thing this is a young Indiana Jones and we'll just use another actor and you're like it's not gonna be the same you know. But especially if the, now people are already predicting, you know, that this because I guess this one's close to with everything tied in like a three hundred million dollar budget. This you know, Indy Five. So sure. people are already saying, you know, it's it's you know, it's going to bomb. Crystal Skull made about eight hundred million dollars, and nobody liked it. You yeah, know? I don't see any way that this doesn't do well, and I and I don't. I mean, it could be wrong, but I well, don't see any Crystal way. Crystal Skull is entertaining. You know, yeah. I think that yeah. we're comparing it to other Indiana Jones films, you right. know, and you just go, oh, right. this is definitely a last place fourth. And you're like, yeah, but last place fourth and four really entertaining movies. <laughs> so, sure. I don't think this but, will uh, bomb. I'll be surprised yeah. if this bombs, but it might not meet the incredible expectations that us and other fans have of it. We'll see. Yeah. But I think it'll make plenty of money. And Mangold's a good no director. Way- yeah, um, but there's no way, you know, Disney maybe will have enough respect to not uh, make another Indiana Jones movie until after Harrison Ford has died. Maybe. But there's no way that, they, yeah, maybe, but there's no way that they won't make, that there won't be more Indiana Jones stuff. I just don't, you know, they didn't spend the money to buy because they because they didn't just buy Star Wars they bought Indiana Jones too they didn't spend the money to just do one movie I think to breathe life in it you you have to do what you have to there has to be something electric and this part of what made me upset about Chris Miller and Phil Lord being 
taken off of Solo, you have to let somebody else take the reins, right? You have to give it to Fresh fresh blood to, to, to take ownership of these properties and make it exciting for a new generation. And I think that the Mandalorian achieved that, right? So if they're going to do it with Indiana Jones, they're going to need to, whether it's Mangold and let him make, um, you know, make his own film. You, you have to take your hands off it a little bit and let new people make it exciting again, make you money. You, there's going to be some trust. They can't just mm. keep repackaging the same old, same old because people don't want to see it. That's true, but they also can't. Indiana Jones isn't a universe like Star Wars. That's true. I don't think it's a guy. You can't. <laughs> yeah, it's a guy. You. I don't think you can do. You know, the Young Adventures of Sala or Marion or something no, like that. No. And have it work. You know, not Maybe that they won't do, do those things. No, not not that they won't do those. Yeah. But you're right. Um, I've always argued for animated series. I I think it, you do a an animated indiana jones series and then you can have it be whatever area you want you don't have to worry about age i never never really understood any you know started out used to be a an animation studio you know but um so i don't know well it's also limited by if you look at the if you look at it in the nuts and bolts of it i mean he is an archaeology professor at this college and you know he kind of goes on sabbatical once in a while he's not always out fighting nazis how many times a year does he maybe once a year he goes and does this otherwise he's there he's a teacher right mm-hmm. so you can't just be like six seasons of 12 episodes of him fighting nazis it's like he's not a nazi fighter he's an archaeologist the nazis mm-hmm. just get in the way in a couple of notable occasions right so it's right. it's a little bit contained which is why it's so brilliant as a single first movie and why it's kind of a coup to have made a trilogy out of it. Like, okay, he didn't well, just have I one think... adventure. He had these three adventures. And then you're like, well, no, now he's going to have five. And you're like, what if he had a... dozens of adventures? And you're kind of like, oh, come on. I mean, it just doesn't. Well, and also the thing that you get into with series, and this is, I don't want to get it too far flung, but I was, I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday. So they are doing, Paramount is doing a, a Friday the 13th series that's going to be like Jason Voorhees when he was a child or whatever. Because the very first Friday the 13th movie is the the mother is actually killing, you know, the camp counselors or whatever. And I said to this guy, I said, you are taking a 80, 90, you know, 80, 90 minute movies that are very thin characters. And it's just, you know, every 10 minutes you have a guy killing somebody and you're trying to stretch that out to 10 hours or whatever, 8, 10, 12 hours. And what they do is they fill it in with melodrama, you know, which was never in those movies. And it's the same thing. If you if you would take Indiana Jones and stretch it out to a a 10-episode series or whatever, I, I, I don't – I mean, I guess they did it with young Indiana Jones. But like you're saying, what are you going to do? Have him like, you know, long stretches of him in the classroom or whatever? You know, I mean, it's like – come up with new you know pay your writers (laughs) compensate your writers get write new stuff it's not that there aren't any new ideas right it's a failure of imagination on the money side of it that's Uh, that's the problem we talked about phoebe waller bridge and she's going to be and you know great for her to you know because she's going to make a ton of money but uh she is writing a uh tomb raider show for i think for netflix netflix or amazon and it's just like she's not gonna do it she's not a tomb raider though no i don't i don't think she's tomb raider i think she's just gonna be the showrunner for it but it's just like okay i mean fine but i wish that she could get but that might actually be interesting it might actually be interesting yeah but i would i would rather two-dimensional property right tomb raider was never anything except it was an adventure First person, what do they call it when you're right behind the main character? It's not first person shooter. Uh, Is that first? Third, person? I think it's third yeah. person shooter. Yeah, but you, it's basically like you're standing behind Lara Croft as you control her through, you know, yeah. Indiana Jonesing her way through whatever. And it was all about those tight cargo shorts, and it was just this animated fanboy babe, basically with a pigtail, mm-hmm. and it took off. 
like crazy and they spawned this entire property. It's not interesting. It's TNA Indiana Jones. That's all it is without any of the interesting human stuff of Indiana Jones. But maybe you give it to a strong female writer with a brain, maybe she actually creates a character that's interesting to watch. I mean, I'm sure at this point she can do anything she wants, but I would, and, and I'm sure she can do both. But I'd rather her do something original like Fleabag. That was incredible. <laughs> to, you know. That was incredible. Uh, anyway, but, uh, we're at time. We yeah. should wrap it up. So, yes, we both completely recommend this movie. You should check it out. If you haven't seen it, watch the whole trilogy. It's great. Um, if you're our age, watch Crystal Skull. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, come on. I don't think it's they're fun unwatchable. movies. I don't think it's unwatchable either. I went went back. Not every sequence is great, but some of them are. Um, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail dot com. That is our handle. We're on the socials. If you would like and subscribe, that makes us happy. Leave us a comment, a suggestion, blah 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 blah, the whole boilerplate thing. Thank you for watching us on YouTube or listening to us on your podcasts. Um, we love it. That's why we do this. Um, it's not really why we do this. We do this because we like talking to each other about movies. Yeah. <laughs> but we do bother exactly. to publish it. <laughs> what what are we but what are we doing for next time? So I think we are going to uh, do another third in a, a franchise, one that I've never seen before, Alien 3. Right, 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 right. Yes, Alien 3. It's been a long time since I've seen that. And uh, I was reading there are there are two versions of it because it's sort of I mean we can get into this when we talk about but sort of famously this was a movie that this was an early David Fincher movie that there was lots of studio interference and then I guess he was able to do a director's cut um, but I which is like two and a half hours long or something like that and Oof. I was reading a lot of people online saying oh the director's cut is way better well we should try I could only. That. Oh well, that's the thing. I can only find it. We can look again, but I can only find it one place, and it was like fifteen dollars to watch it. So I don't think I want to watch it that much. But yeah, so but we can look and see if we can we can find it another place. But what I was able to find on my Roku was just the original one location. It was yeah, it was like yeah. So all right, we'll can, do a little uh, research one way or the other. We're going to watch Alien Three for next time. Join us if that's not too outside of your wheelhouse. Um. And unless you have anything else to add. We're coming up on, so then our next episode should be the our episode 150. 150th episode. Yeah. So we'll do, we'll have a, some kind of a surprise for that. So something, something fun. Yeah. So, um, and I enjoy doing this with you. Oh, me too. It started Absolutely. as a COVID it. thing and man, I'm really digging it. Me too. 100%. Um, so on that note, humble listeners, or not so humble. I don't know what I'm talking about. We will <laughs> we will talk to you all next week. <laughs>